You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Angie Thomas, who was born, raised, and still resides in Jackson, Mississippi. I used to work in a church, um, and it was an interesting job. I was an assistant to a bishop. And so I sometimes would write during my lunch breaks and I feel bad because of the language in the book and I was sitting in the church writing that. Angie is a former teen rapper whose greatest accomplishment was an article about her in Write On magazine. She holds a BFA in creative writing from Belhaven University but can still rap if needed. She's the inaugural winner of the Walter Dean Myers grant that was awarded by We Need Diverse Books. She joins me today in our New York office to talk about The Hate You Give, a searing debut novel about an ordinary girl in extraordinary circumstances that addresses issues of racism and police violence with intelligence, heart, and unflinching honesty. But then there's this whole thought that black culture sometimes is cooler than black people. And so she would go to her school and they would be, you know, they can be listening to the hip hop and everything, but it's one thing to love black culture, it's another to love black people. The Hate You Give was acquired by Balzer and Bray HarperCollins in a 13 house auction and will be published on February 28th, 2017. Welcome, Angie. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, I'm very excited to talk about this book. Um, I, I wanna sort of just set it up. So. The Hate You Give features a 16-year-old protagonist, Star Carter, who sort of feels like her birth certificate should read Big Mav's daughter who works in the store because that's just how frequently uh, she's described that way. And the story is really about the very sort of complicated way that she has to navigate these two worlds, uh, her poor black neighborhood and then her the fancy suburban school where where she goes to school, um, it, it's a it's a fragile balance and it's destroyed when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend Khalil, at the hands of the police of a police officer. Khalil is unarmed, and his death becomes another tragic headline. And then what happens is people start to take sides. And in the vacuum of sort of a lack of an investigation by the police, the community becomes embroiled in, in, in violence. And at the center of it is Star because she's really the only one who knows what happened that night. Now, I want to stop right here and say, because I think it's hugely important, that this is not, you know, a quote unquote issues book. You know, this book at the heart of it is about family. It's about friendship and it's about sort of growing up and speaking up and I loved it for for all of those reasons but the first question I want to ask you is about the title particularly about your admiration for Tupac and 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 how that admiration led to this title so tell us that story please Um, I've been a Tupac fan since I was younger Um, I basically heard him um, the other kids, the older kids would play him when I wasn't supposed to be listening to it. But um, I love Tupac, and I started really listening to it as I got older, listening to his message, because Tupac had this way of being an activist through his music. Um, he wasn't just a rapper, he was an activist. And he would speak to things that I understood, and he would speak to my world and everything I saw, but he would also give me hope through his music. 
And so one thing he once said was he has this thug, he had this thug life tattoo on his stomach and everyone knows him for that tattoo. But what a lot of people don't know is that it was actually, um, it actually stood for the hate you give little infants F's everybody. And that basically means that society makes investments into youth. And sometimes like we see recently, that's in the form of police brutality cases. And then we see it come back. It F's everybody when we see riots and protests. And I think that really spoke to the theme of the novel because that was that was the hate that had been given to Star and to the other young people in her community. And then it came back to bite society in the butt in the form of riots. And so I think that message that he had um, in the tattoo really spoke to what I was trying to achieve with the book. Now, I'm going to ask the question. I don't think it's important, frankly, the answer, but I think everyone will want to know to what degree the book is autobiographical. Um, there are some things that I took from my own life. Um, Star goes to a prep school that's mostly white. Um, I was actually homeschooled in high school, but in college, I went to a majority white school on the nicer side of town. And I understand how you have to change who you are, where you are. And so I would have to go from playing Tupac loudly in the car to by the time I get to my neighborhood, I'm playing the Jonas Brothers because, I mean, to, to my school, school, I'm playing the Jonas Brothers because that was more acceptable. <laughs> and so I understood having to change, like I said, who I was, where I was. Yeah, the, you, you say in, in the book that Star sometimes feels that she has to earn her cool in her home neighborhood, mm-hmm. where automatically she's cool where she goes to school, mm-hmm. which which I think is an interesting perspective sort of twist on, on what you just said. So, so talk about that a little bit. How does that happen? Well, I think a lot of times if you're like a latchkey kid, like Star is, or like I was, if you're kept inside, sometimes that scene is not being cool. If your parents are really protective, that's not seen, mm. that's, you lose cool points for that, you know. And you're kept from a lot of things. And in some ways, Star is sheltered mm-hmm. from a lot of things in her neighborhood. Despite what she does see, her parents still shelter her in a way by keeping her close. And so she wasn't cool in that sense. But then there's this whole thought that, black culture sometimes is cooler than black people right and so she would go to her school and they would be you know they can be listening to the hip-hop and everything but it's one thing to love black culture it's another to love black people that's a very yeah that's that's a very important point which i think you you very subtly bring out throughout 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 the book now, you you felt it even, like you said, going from one neighborhood to go to school, but you, there is an anecdote that I read about how you were in a car with friends and you were about to go over a bridge and somebody said, oh, I don't want to go over there. And you said, well, wait a minute, that's where I go every day because that's where my house is. Right, right. We were in the car, um, some friends from college, and they were afraid to cross that bridge to go to my neighborhood. And they actually said that's where the criminals live. That's what they said. Yeah. And I, here I was in the car from that neighborhood. And when I said that's where I live, suddenly it was a whole different thing. And I noticed, though, in that car even, it made them maybe consider what they'd said because here I am, someone they knew, someone they were Very close well, with. Yeah. And you just grouped me in with everybody else without knowing. And I think your your other point that you also very definitely bring out in this book is that a neighborhood that happens to be economically poor is the same as any neighborhood. There's some good guys and there's some lousy guys and there's some cheats and there's some honest people. And it, it, and why, you know, we all make the, the assumption or too many people make the assumption that if you're poor, then you're all one way or the other. Or mm-hmm. frankly, I think it also happens if you're super rich, some people make those kinds of assumptions. But I think, again, I, I think the way that you're able to, to, to 
make people think of these things through fiction, through the lives of these teens, which are also, it's another community where assumptions are so frequently laid on. If you're a teenager, you are one of these things. And very often you are one of these things all the time mm-hmm. versus no, some teenagers are more one way or the other. And, and, and you really can't, you just can't generalize. Right, right. I I was thinking about it the other day myself. I see kids, I know kids in my neighborhood who are good kids, and they're the boys who walk around with their pants hanging off their butts, and everyone's going to make an assumption about them because of their fashion choice, whereas these are kids who still have good grades, and so sometimes we assume too often. Yeah, so. I think it, it's definitely true. Now, you started the book, it originally started as a mm-hmm. short story when you were still an undergraduate? Yes, yes. Um, I was at Belhaven University in Jackson, and it was my senior project. Um, I started it after the Oscar Grant case mm-hmm. in Oakland, California. Yeah. Um, I was in a position like Star, being in two different worlds, so I heard two different types of conversations. I would be at home in my neighborhood, and everybody was angry about what happened. And then I would go to my school, and people were saying he deserved it because of his background. And I decided to write the book as a way to get those emotions out for myself and to explore that and to even show how my neighborhood would react and to show the other side of it as well. So at that time, I'm just curious, at that time, were you having active conversations with your classmates? And, and did, did you feel that any of those conversations were, were able to change people's attitudes? Um, I regret it now because I stayed quiet. Did you? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it was hard hard. because I felt like at the time I knew I may lose some friendships because of what I would say, because it was such a passionate thing. You know, it was such an emotional thing. And I would stay quiet about it. And that's why I wrote the book, honestly, because it was a way to have that discussion without having that discussion. It's interesting because I very often ask authors, what do you hope will happen when the book is published? It's so clear what you hope will happen is to start the conversation. But another thing that I often say, like when I'm talking to people, when I'm interviewing people for work here, I say, you know, our job as publishers is to start national conversations. That's what we do with every type of book that we publish. And, you know, of course, there are varying success of how how that happens. But I I think this this book excites me so much for a lot of reasons. But one of them is I think that it will be so successful, so successful a way to start that conversation. Because, again, you, you come to these characters and you come to this situation with so much compassion and so much um, love, and and frankly, experience with these both with these two sides that I think you're 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 an excellent um, messenger for this for this conversation. And so I, I really appreciate it. Talk to me a little bit about your. It's it's interesting to me that the first word that you the first phrases that you read around this book, and I think it's we do this just because we all crave shorthand. Is oh, this is a book that was quote unquote inspired by. Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your your thoughts on Black Lives Matter, your your experience with it, and and again, mm-hmm. sort of how, how you think that conversation mm-hmm. can be helpful and can turn the national conversation. Well, it's amazing to me that that three simple words can get so many different reactions right? out of people. If you say Black Lives Matter, you make some people angry, some people agree, and some people just don't get it. And I think that there needs to be uh, understanding that when people say black lives matter, it's not saying that all lives don't matter. It's just saying that black lives need to matter. They're not mattering enough. 
And I think it's interesting how those three words and and because of those three words, people are overlooking the movement itself and the work that's being done by these young women behind this movement. And people just often group because they may see one person ransacking a building during a protest. They assume everyone is. And that's kind of what the book addresses. Yeah. We always sometimes we one person, we We make the same assumption about everyone. How do you feel about the book being sort of set up, that, that using it in that way, in that kind of shorthand, like, oh, this was a, a book inspired by. Mm-hmm. It, do you feel like that's accurate? Do you do you appreciate that? Or do you feel that that then requires ex- extra explanation? I don't know. I'm just curious. I would say that the movement helped me to, it made me a little more, um, it made me a little bolder to take this on because yeah. seeing that they were so, vo- they, ha- they have been so active and they've been so strong about it. Yeah. It gave me the strength to address it in my book. And I may not have gone out there with the picket signs, but I do feel like writing is a form of activism because if nothing else, it'll show people who may not understand things. It'll give them a glimpse into another world that they may not understand. Yeah. And so that's what I really hope people will take from this, that the same people who are quick to get angry when we say Black Lives Matter, hopefully they can read the book and see why we say it. Yep. I think I think that'll happen. So I, I also read that you expanded it from a short story to a novel in the process of you had written your first novel mm-hmm. and you'd sent it off and you, you, you'd sent your query letters out and I have it somewhere where you, where you have a little tally of how many manuscripts and how many queries sent. Which So you had three manuscripts because you had two different drafts of your first novel mm-hmm. and then this, uh, one draft of your second novel and you sent a total of 52 queries. Mm-hmm. And in the process of waiting for this, you were so you know nervous and agitated, you thought, okay, I'm just going to start something new. So you started to, ex- to expand it, which I love that story. And then tell us the story because every, it, is, it, is, it is very a nice story of how you got to your agent. Um, I actually met him through Twitter, so do, so do not write Twitter off. Um, <laughs> I, um, I was afraid to query the book because of the subject matter. Mm. And I know that um, sometimes some topics, some agents don't want to touch them. So um, the Bent Agency had a question and answer session on Twitter. And I asked um, if it was even a topic that they that someone may be interested in. And my agent Brooke Sherman actually answered and he was like, yeah, absolutely. Send it to me. And so I sent it to him and here we are. So it's amazing to me to see how it started. And it's also great because other writers see it and it gives them a little more hope that, you know, it does. All it takes sometimes is one. Yes. So that was my one. Yes. So I'm very thankful for that one. Yes. Well, you you then. So you, you got your agent, which of course is the first step. The book was submitted to publishers, mm-hmm. and there were 13 yeses, because thir- 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 13 different um, editors were, were vying for it, and you ended up with Balzer and Bray, and we're very happy you're here. Now, I want to ask you, I often hear, particularly on the, on the, um, the young adult side, I hear tales of the editor letter. Do you have a story around receiving the editor letter? Because not everybody does. You may not. I mean, it may it may not have been that way. But um, when I received the editor letter, I um, you know it was funny because I cried, but not in a bad. <laughs> but out. Let me say this: you're was, not alone. No, I'm here to tell it, you. <laughs> it wasn't the bad way though. I cried. I I was actually happy because I saw how much she gets it. And she said things that I could not put in words myself that I could not really? figure out like, yeah. what was wrong with it. So that it was like it was actually a good experience. So I kind of feel like, I, you know. So, I mean, just 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 to be clear. So mm-hmm. what we're talking about is 
You've mm-hmm. you've met with your editor. You've submitted your draft, and and along comes a very thoughtful. As I understand it, is it really is it single space? I mean, it's a big it's a big kind of detailed document, right? Yeah, and it goes through, <laughs> and then you take that and you use that for your for your next draft. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't as long as some people's are, though. I was surprised. I, I would guess not. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I'm telling you, and it's and I don't well, you don't hear it from trade from trade authors nearly as much as from, from YA authors. I, I think it's awesome. Because again, it does. It shows that these people are really, they're really reading and they really have your best interest at heart. Absolutely. So how, how have you made, this is, this is an incredible whirlwind in the sense of a debut author, a, a very fast process to get an agent, uh, auctions, it's been sold off to seven foreign countries. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that it's been optioned for film. Mm-hmm. It's not just been optioned, but they've already put a screenwriter on it. And tell us who the, you're the lead actor who's attached to it. Amandala Stenberg. Who? Um, she played Rue in The Hunger Games. So not, everyone will know not that. bad. <laughs> everyone can picture her immediately. <laughs> so how are, how are you? I'm doing pretty great. Um, I have a strong family system that will not let me get the big head. Okay, good. So, <laughs> but I'm just going along for the ride. So I, a lot of times I say I feel like Stevie Wonder on a motorcycle. I do not <laughs> see what's coming. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going along for the ride. So. Now, do you, do you still maintain your day job? No, um, I used to work in a church, um, and it was an interesting job. I was an assistant to a bishop, and so I sometimes would write during my lunch breaks, and I feel bad because of the language in the book, and I was sitting in a church writing that. Oh, that's but, funny. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But um, they gave me their blessing to leave, so right now I do write full-time. And I've heard you mention the subject matter of your second book. Do you? Some people mm-hmm. don't want to jinx it. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to just say anything or not? Um, I'm still working on it, um, but the second book, um, it's about another girl who finds her voice, but it's through hip-hop. And um, she's dealing with family issues. She has a, she had a mom who was once addicted to drugs, and she has a brother who just graduated from an HBCU, and he's having a hard time finding a job. And she always saw college as her way out of the neighborhood, and here it is. Her brother has to return to the neighborhood despite doing so well in college. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of that eye-opening experience of learning that sometimes that's not the only that's not the yeah. way out sometimes you have to do something else so she looks at hip-hop as possibly a way she kind of kind of falls into it and so it becomes possibly a way to get out and it also becomes her voice so that sounds good tell us a little bit about about hip-hop and your experience mm-hmm. with it um hip-hop i look at hip-hop as a great way of storytelling yeah so often you know sometimes kids don't read unfortunately yeah but they'll see themselves in songs they'll see themselves in the stories like rappers like tupac like nas like jay-z they'll see themselves in mm-hmm. those stories and they can relate to it and sometimes that gives them a voice sometimes that's the best way that they can see themselves and yeah. see someone who understands what they're going through and i think so often we don't we don't give hip-hop enough credit for that yeah it's a way for them to practice their voice right. also right absolutely sort of practice absolutely. speaking up and speaking out yeah all right so tell us a little bit about the cover process was was did you have a lot of involvement in the the cover selection and design? Um, a little bit. Um, they gave me the concept and I fell in love immediately. Oh, good. That's um, good. I'm a huge fan of Deborah Cartwright. She did the um, artwork. I'm a huge fan of hers. And so when they showed, when they told me she would be doing the cover, I was immediately, I knew I would love it because she's oh, an yeah. amazing artist. And so when they showed me what they were doing, we had a couple of tweaks along the way, but 
I love the final version. Um, it's everything I could have wanted in a cover, honestly. And the fact that we have, honestly, a black girl on a cover of a young adult book, because yeah. so often, sometimes we don't see them enough. No, we don't. And so the fact that we even have a black girl on a cover, and I got a lot of tweets, <laughs> people who were excited because it's not just a black girl, it's a brown-skinned black girl with her natural hair on a cover. I think that's a big thing, and I think in a lot of ways we've, we're have we going to help some people see themselves that we may not have realized. It, yeah. So. Terrific. Who is your first reader? Who do you give your pages to first? Um, that's a great question. I actually, in a way, give them to my mom, but I actually read them aloud to her. Yeah. And so um, she's my biggest critique part critique partner, but she's also my biggest cheerleader. So I can get it. I can, if I need the encouragement right then, she'll give that. But if I need to be told, nah, she'll do that as well. <laughs> and what what are your touchstone books? What are those books that? that you you either read once and they were so powerful or the ones that you sort of reread, you know, consistently? Um, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry was like one of the first books that really touched me because it's about a black girl from Mississippi and there I was a black girl from Mississippi. And even though it's a historical, um, it really, really, really... And another one, though, and a lot of people will probably look at me odd for this, but it's not technically a book, but um, Storm in the X-Men... When I started reading those, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 it was something about seeing a black girl as a superhero, as a hero. Uh, right, yeah, it's just and like, yeah, yeah, so often in society, you don't see black people as heroes, they're presented more in the, as antagonists, and so to see a black girl as a hero, that really did something for me, and so yeah. those two definitely stand out for me, um, Harry Potter was also a big one. Um, I remember wishing I would get a Hogwarts letter. I still have not. (laughs) But um, it showed me that was one way I definitely saw another world besides mine. So I really, 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 it was was like knowing that somewhere like that, although it didn't exist, the idea that it could exist and the way she presented it to make it seem as if it did exist. Sure. It was just something that it gave me as a kid in the hood a way to see something else. Well, I frankly predict that this the book you've written the hate you give will will be that book for young girls i i I really do i think it's a terrific book and i thank you so much for joining me thank you we've been speaking to angie thomas about the hate you give that publishes february 28th thank you so much thank you for having me thanks for listening we hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard and if you have that you'll subscribe To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone. 